Good day, and thank you for joining us for today's message. Before we begin today's message, I would like to make the note that during the course of the preaching of the sermon, there are a number of times that I refer to the Nicene Creed. It wasn't until later, after preaching the sermon, that I realized that I had misquoted the Nicene Creed, and it was actually the Athanasian Creed that is being referred to. So throughout the message, please forgive the error and realize that when I refer to the Nicene Creed, it is actually the Athanasian Creed, a creed that's slightly later in date um, that is being referred to. Thank you very much, and I hope that today's sermon is profitable. This morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we are in our third week of this sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, In our first week, we uh, spent time looking at God the Father Almighty. In the second week, just last week, we looked at Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And now we turn to the third I believe statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to begin in Titus chapter 3. We're going to read this and we're going to come back to it later on in the service as well as looking at Romans chapter 8. But we're going to read Titus 3, 4 through 7 because it is such a beautifully Trinitarian scripture that really holds out for us, particularly the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration, washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Again, we thank you particularly for the Holy Spirit who has given us this word, beginning to end from the prophets through the apostles, the gift of the word to the church, but really the gift of the word to form the church. Lord, we pray that we would be submitted to you as our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we would be submitted this morning to your word, and particularly on this morning as we look at the Holy Spirit, we pray, Spirit, that you would really walk among us as your own word has said you would, that you would guide us in the truth, and that we would be changed because you are present with us. Thank you, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, the one who has guaranteed for us all of these great gifts. Pray this in his name. Amen. This morning we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In A.W. Tozer's book, The God's Pursuit of Man, he has a chapter, and the title of that chapter is The Forgotten One. I recommend that chapter to you. Francis Chan wrote a book uh, that I think was probably inspired by A.W. Tozer. His book was called The Forgotten God. In Tozer's chapter, he suggests that while we may have a great deal of doctrinal accuracy about the Holy Spirit, we may 
think we know quite a bit about it, and we could even repeat it if you've taken time to memorize a creed or two or perhaps a few scriptures. While we may have doctrinal accuracy about the Holy Spirit, we do not have an equally practical appreciation, acknowledgement, or awareness of the Holy Spirit. So we know about from a distance, but we don't know Him. Perhaps we know everything we ought to say about the Holy Spirit, but that does not mean we practically worship, glorify, or walk in the Holy Spirit as the Scriptures would have us. A.W. Tozer, he says this, The Christian doctrine of the Trinity boldly declares the equality of the three persons and the right of the Holy Spirit to be worshipped and glorified. Anything less than this is something less than Trinitarianism. Be honest, one of the notes to my own soul, the A.W. Tozer is on to something here, is the fact that the idea of worshiping the Holy Spirit seems like, whoa, red flags. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe yellow flag, caution, be careful here. The fact that that would be a caution to me tells me that I know some of the doctrine about the Holy Spirit, but I don't know the Spirit of God like I should. Something less than Trinitarian. That said, as I read Tozer's chapter, I came away with a feeling that he wanted me to love the Holy Spirit. That's what he really wanted. He wanted me to truly love and appreciate the Spirit of God. And I think he's right to feel that way. But I'm also convinced that the only way to truly love Anyone, any person, and especially the third person of the Trinity, is to get to know him better. What better way to come to love someone? And if we discover that that one is truly glorious, to then glorify, to worship that one. Besides that fact, I'm also convinced that while it may have been true in A.W. Tozer's day, and it really wasn't, it certainly isn't true today that we really have much doctrinal clarity about the Holy Spirit anymore. So my method this morning is twofold, two things. I want to bring, I hope, some doctrinal clarity about the Holy Spirit, especially as he is presented in the Apostles' Creed. The second thing that I want to do is I want to raise our awareness and appreciation of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That, even that phrase right there, it's really important to me. At least it has become this week. Um, I talk often about how the gospel is about the person and work of Jesus. I use those phrases, and they're technical phrases. They mean a lot. Right? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. But what we discover is that the Apostles' Creed holds out not only the person and work of Jesus, but it also holds out the person and work of the Father, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, right? But he also holds out the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So my method this morning, twofold, bring doctrinal clarity, first of all, and then, Lord willing, appreciation of who the Spirit is. That's my method, but the goal is a little different. The goal is that this morning you would come to love the Holy Spirit, just as A.W. Tozer's goal in his chapter. 
that your clarity and appreciation of the Holy Spirit would bring you to a fuller, deeper worship of our triune God, which, by the way, is the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit in the church, that we would worship God. So let us pay attention closely so that we can worship this morning. Now, I'm going to actually begin by looking at the words that come directly after the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the creed. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church continues. Now, I'm going to start there because this is a crucial point. There's something that this creed and others' creeds that follow it, there's something that they're driving at that we have to not mistake here. The word Catholic The word Catholic is driving at the reality that there is only one church. It is the church of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It is the church of the redeemed. That is the only church that is the church. It's the church that's formed by and submitted to the teaching of the Scriptures as they are faithfully summarized in the Apostles' Creed. That is the one church. And yet, it doesn't take much discernment to look around and see that there isn't just one church. We can say it all we want, right? And mean it, and even believe that it's true. There really is only one church. And we look around, we're like, nope. Right? The most glaring fact is that the church that is called Catholic, with a capital C, and I noticed in the creed, we haven't fixed it yet, every time I type the word Catholic... That in my, in my, on my computer, it automatically capitalizes it, even though there are two uses of that word, and it hasn't been corrected on our screen yet. There's the, uh, the, the capital case, Catholic, which is referring to the Catholic Church, as you would understand it more than likely. And then there is the lowercase ca- Catholic that is an adjective. It's a simple word with meaning associated that helps us to understand the word that follows it. A simple adjectives, lowercase c. The glaring fact is that that Catholic church does not, is not what is being specified in this creed. In fact, since Protestant Reformation in the 15 and 1600s, the tradition that Cross Point Coast belongs to and, and is a greatest agreement with is in significant disagreement with much of the points of the Catholic Church, capital C, particularly about the atonement, about the cross, about justification. These are deeply divided things. And we look at it and say, is there one church? Are there many churches? But we shouldn't think that the Protestant Reformation is the first time that the church has faced such a question. It's not the first division in the church. The church has grown up in many places around the world. One of the reasons why that there are may look like there are many churches isn't necessarily because the church divided, but because the church grew up in these variety of places wherever the gospel went. But then it also divided of questions of core doctrines, even those doctrines that are in the Apostles' Creed. Some of the church visible have divided and departed from the Apostles' Creed. Other times the divisions were over less significant issues. Other times they were even petty disagreements or even political division. In fact, I listened to a a history of the church. I think it would probably be more appropriately called the history of the church in the West, particularly in Europe. And in that history of the church, it was shocking, discouraging to me 
how often the supposed church, as it fragmented, how very often the fragmentation was actually highly politically motivated. What is clear, what we have to remember is many of those who call themselves the church or participate with the church or climb up the ranks of the leadership in any particular church or tradition, the question is, are they truly a people of faith in Jesus Christ? Are they truly submitted to the truth of the word? Are they truly filled with the Holy Spirit? So while we look around and we see in the visible that there are many churches, even among these many churches, among those churches that are actually holding to the truth of the scriptures as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, those there are those among them that we call the invisible church who are truly the church, the church Catholic. The church, often it's used the word universal. As I said, the word Catholic is an adjective. It's not the name of an official institution. It is the name of a church in every time and place among every nation and people who are submitted to Jesus in faith, are united, not by a human institution, but by the truth of the scriptures. In fact, we are not finally united by a human written creed. Though the truths in that creed are what we unite around. We are finally united by the word of God and the spirit of God. Let me put it another way. The Catholic church to which the Apostles' Creed refers is the church of every time and place, every nation and people who hold the Catholic faith. That is the true and uniting faith, the essential doctrines to which the early creeds bear witness. I say that in order to describe and introduce the Nicene Creed, another very helpful creed that's going to help us in the understanding of the Holy Spirit. In the Nicene Creed, it begins with some of these words, whosoever will be saved, whosoever. So if you're wondering what's true of a saved person and what is differentiating them from a, an unsaved person, this at least is true. Before all things, it is necessary that they hold, that he hold the Catholic faith. That is the true and uniform faith that is presented to us in the scriptures as they are inspired by the Spirit of God. So it's interesting this morning in our study of the Holy Spirit that there is that this unifying work is the very project of the Holy Spirit himself, that he undertakes as overseer and guide. In many ways, I think that you could say that the Holy Spirit is the catalyzing worker for the church. He is the one who is unifying the church by guiding us in the truth. Here's how it's put in John chapter 16, an essential passage of Scripture for us in understanding the work of the Spirit. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Spirit do? He guides us in the truth, all truth. 
What truth? All truth that Jesus has given to his disciples, the Spirit guides us in. And that truth is a truth that is united with the Father. The Father has given to the Son, the Son has given to the Spirit, and the Spirit gives now to the church. This passage speaks of truth that is teaching, or as I've been using the word doctrine, which is the very word of God. That's why I'm not afraid of the word doctrine. Doctrine has has become a bad word, partly bad because it just sounds, it can become dry and and really thick and be about theological tomes, but also because it can start to sound very man-made. But true doctrine is actually the teaching of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ, about God the Father as it's recorded in the Scriptures. This is what we mean by doctrine. It is the truth that the Father wants the disciples. And I love the word disciples because it means learners. So hear that. The Father wants the learners of the Son to know these things. And the Holy Spirit has been given to as a guide as one to speak the truth to the disciples or the learners of Jesus Christ. What does he speak? He speaks about Jesus. Now, where do we find this truth? Where's, what are the words that the Spirit speaks? Where can we find what the Spirit has spoken as our guide? This is an important clarification for us. Remember, this is a, a moment in our church when we first began to look at this about four or five years Ago, There is an authoritative place to look. When we start talking about the Spirit, unfortunately, there has been a trajectory in the church to begin to think that if we are going to listen to the Spirit, we need to search deep within. But there is a place that the Spirit has spoken. He speaks to my heart. It's true. But what are the words that he has spoken there? It turns out he spoke them somewhere else first. And then he reminds me and guides me and affirms in me those words. And that is found in the word of God itself, in the scriptures. What are the words that the Spirit speaks? He speaks the word of God. Where can we hear today, hear the doctrine, so that we too can become learners of Jesus, disciples of Jesus? It's in the inspired word of God, the Bible, the Spirit, functionally and practically, served as a guide for the apostles to remind them of the truth given and performed by Jesus and then recorded for us so that we who have also been given the Holy Spirit as a guide, a comforter, and a guarantee of our faith might also have the words of Jesus. You see, the apostles, because of the the guiding of the Holy Spirit, are not the only ones who have the words of Jesus. We too can have the words of life and have that life affirmed to us by that same inspiring Spirit. And then the Spirit uses, affirms, enlightens, and keeps us By that word. So one more time. What is the Holy Catholic Church? Well, my favorite word to use, though I don't actually wind up using it, is the word whole. W-H-O-L-E. The Catholic Church is the whole church as defined and kept and submitted to the truth of the word of God. The whole church in its entirety 
And the whole church, as it is made whole and made one, made unified, not by an institution or a creed, but by the Spirit of God himself. I believe in the whole, holy church. And so, this is the ground of our unity. This is the ground of our truth. This is the ground of our hope. It turns out it is the Holy Spirit who guides us in that truth. Now, for those of you who are kind of, you like doctrinal things, you like thinking through uh, theological terms, one of the ways that, just as a note, if this isn't you, you can just sit for a second, enjoy, maybe stretch. I think that one of the ways that we could put it is the Catholicity of the church. The wholeness of the church is founded on the basis of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is by means of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the church is one. So this morning you're thinking, I thought this morning was about the Holy Spirit, and you're talking a lot about the Holy Catholic Church. I thought we were going to come back to that next week. That's the fourth week. Why all this talk of Catholicity and so on? Well, I'm about to read a section of the Nicene Creed, and it's going to talk about the Trinity. It speaks in the Creed. It speaks of our Catholic faith and the necessity that among those who consider themselves the church, only those who hold this singular uniting faith are a part of the true church of God. And so I thought it would be helpful to to read this middle section of the Nicene Creed to gain clarity about what we mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This, I think, is incredible. It'll be on the screen behind me. Please follow along. If you stay engaged, all the way from the children to the oldest adult in the room, is all of us will stay engaged with this. You will see there's a theme that is powerful, meaningful, and beautiful. In the middle of the Nicene Creed, it offers this. The Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. Well, that was clear. All right. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. There is one God. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, and the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is incomprehensible. You're like, yes, I'm starting to agree. The Son is incomprehensible. The Holy Spirit is incomprehensible. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. Hear this. And yet, there are not three eternals, but one eternal God. As also there are not three uncreated nor incomprehensible, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty. And yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord. The Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. And yet, there are not three lords, but one Lord. We're right last week to speak of Jesus is Lord. 
And to remember that that was the Father's word to Moses, that he is the I am. And the Holy Spirit is Lord, because there's one Lord, and he is God. It's powerful, clear, even a bit repetitious. There is one God, and there is one God in three persons. It's right to speak of each person as God and possessing all the attributes of God, but it is not right to speak of three persons as divided, for there is only one God. This is not how we are. We are not God. Hopefully that's not new information to anyone this morning. But having read this, if this is what God is like, I'm like, yeah, that's true. I'm not like that if that's what God is like. When we meet another human, we meet another singular person. But when we meet the one God, we meet three persons. No wonder the creed calls God incomprehensible. He is truly higher. He is truly other than we are. But this is how he has revealed himself. He who is higher and greater, he who is almighty and all-knowing, has made known to us, us something that is higher than us. He's revealed it to us. And so we seek to understand, worship, glorify him, according to the scriptures. At the end of the day, I'll be honest, this is mostly just my confession. He said it's true. I believe it's true. And so we believe and glorify God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as such. Now here's what the creed does. Each time it introduces a new person of the Trinity. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, it then offers the work of the triune God. As we read the Bible and discover the Trinity there, we see that all that is done in redemption history is done by God. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that at each major point in history, we have descriptions of the activity of that one God in three persons at work together in the history of redemption. You'll see it here. Creation. The Father. In the beginning, God created, right? The Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Spirit. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The triune God present in the work of creation. The Incarnation. Father. In John 1, it says, Jesus was born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The incarnation is the will of the Father. The Son. It says very simply in John 1 also, the Word became flesh. There's the Word at work, the Son at work in the incarnation, taking on flesh. And the Spirit, in Luke 1 The angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, in the incarnation, we have the work of the whole Godhead present and working in the incarnation. Then crucifixion. I'm going to read a a, a passage from Hebrews 9.14. See if you can see all three persons of the one God at work in Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
We're told in there the father was offering to the offering was to God that we might be cleansed, cleaned, and, and that we might be free to serve the living God. We have the son present because it was his blood that was offered. But we have this interesting phrase that's worthy of much further study than we give it this morning that he was that blood of Christ was offered through the eternal spirit. There is some manner in which the Holy Spirit was at work in the offering that Jesus brought. And we see him. If you read the crucifixion account, we see the Holy Spirit appearing numerous times in the gospel throughout the offering on the crucifixion. And then we have the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, we are told this Jesus, God raised up. We are told in John 10, That the Son, it says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So it is accurate to say that God raised Jesus up, but that Jesus took up his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, he says. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The Father charging the Son to exercise the authority of resurrection. The Son has the authority of the resurrection because of the will of the Father for resurrection. The Spirit, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. What is our hope? That the Spirit would give our mortal bodies life in Romans chapter 8. Where do we get that hope? Because the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. You know, Jesus, who has authority to raise himself from the dead, was raised by the Spirit. At every point in history, the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are present and active. As A.W. Tozer again puts it, God is never anywhere present in one person without the other two. It's powerful and real, and it'll cause you to go back and read the Scriptures with completely different eyes. And you begin to see the triune God at work at every point in history. And you begin to worship the whole of who God is. Now, there's a a word I'm going to introduce to you as we continue. The word, the economics of the Apostles' Creed. I'm sorry, you got lots of new words and so on, but you'll follow me very quickly. The Creed says, I believe in God the Father, Creator, in Jesus Christ, suffering, rejected, dying, resurrected. And in the Holy Spirit... And then a bunch of random doctrines. This seems odd to me. It's always the way that I've actually looked at the creed. That's what I thought it was. But this is what theologians call the economic trinity, or the three persons of the trinity at work. Okay? This is the work of the three persons of the trinity. While the triune God is wholly present at every point in the Bible, there are specific works that are ascribed to particular persons of the trinity. We've already seen how the Spirit is the one who guides the church in the truth. He's the one who literally stewarded the apostles in documenting for us the truth of the gospel. So it's appropriate that the first thing that is said about the work of the Spirit is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Why? Why does that come next? Because that's the work. It's the economy of the Spirit. It's where we see him at work in the Scriptures The church is both holy and Catholic because of the Spirit. We're holy because we've been sanctified, literally made holy 
by the Holy Spirit. We're Catholic or whole because the Spirit has given us one word, one truth to believe. Ephesians chapter 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is the gift of the Spirit to make us whole, one church. The Spirit has made us the holy Catholic church. The second random doctrine that we're given, the whole I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. That's just like a hangover. They weren't sure where to put it, right? No. The communion of saints is the very work of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. I would encourage you, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 quite a bit this morning for, for these few doctrines that are at the end of the Apostles' Creed. I encourage you to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. For we are... We all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, we've already seen that the Spirit leads us in truth. Here we also see that the Spirit is the seal of our adoption as sons. To be clear, that is, we are adopted, men and women, as full inheritors of the kingdom with Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. We are a people who cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit affirms, bears witness to us, you're right to do so. It's right that you would cry out to God, our Father who is in heaven. The Spirit says, yes. Continue to pray. That's what he is. We have truly become, by grace, through faith, children of the God. Of God, And the Spirit says, yes. This body, this group of children are a people. We are a community who share in a communion. I'm going to pause on that one. If it catches you, great. If not, we'll keep moving. We are a community who share in a communion. That's why we're told in the creed, we, the communion of saints, not the community alone of saints. We have not become a community because we decided we like each other. You look around, you hang out long enough, you'll discover you're like, phew, if so, this community doesn't stand a chance. We are not a community because we decided to like each other. And I've said this many times. I'll remind us again. Cross Point Coast does not exist because we decided to get together with our closest friends and be a better church. We are not first a community of people. We are, by the Spirit's work, a holy communion. We are a community who share in communion. We are a community because we each have partaken in the same grace and have been brought into the same family by the adoption of the Spirit. Put it another way. We did not decide to become brothers and sisters and then decide to go on the hunt for a good father to take us in. We didn't come all knocking on heaven's door and say, hey, we're out there. Anyone interested in taking in all of these orphaned children in the world? No, the father adopted each of us, giving us each the spirit of adoption as sons, full inheritors. And as we look around, as we partake in communion with God, you see, we are in a community with God first. First. 
We realize that there is a whole community of us partaking in this same grace. And so we discover we are one family. He didn't just adopt me. He adopted us. A community who partake in the grace of Jesus Christ by the adopting work of the Holy Spirit. In a little while, we're going to take communion together. And it is literally held out for us visibly. We become a community who partake in communion. Do you see it? The forgiveness of sins. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the beginning of that chapter I had you turn to. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love the way that Mark put it in our prayer of confession. Man, if I would encourage you, this, this phrase should come through your mind every prayer of confession. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The way that Mark said it is when the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, he does not bring condemnation. Because there is none. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. He hasn't laid on you the weight of condemnation anymore. It's been removed by the Christ, and the Spirit guides us in that truth. In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who? Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do we walk? As people condemned, weighed down by our sin, or do we walk as a people who have been made free by the work of the Christ, applied to us by the Spirit, free to walk according to that Spirit? It's a beautifully Trinitarian passage. There's a similar Trinitarian passage over in Titus. We read it at the beginning of our service. Titus chapter 3 Verses 4 through 6. Again, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, see it? He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit has applied salvation to each one who is redeemed by washing and renewal. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to apply the grace of the Son to wash us, to cleanse us, to forgive us of sin. What a relief, because if the Holy Spirit didn't wash us, we would have to wash ourselves. But if we've been washed, we're clean. And all we do is we come before him and we say, I've I've fallen short as you know I do. Spirit of God, remind me of the truth of the grace that is in Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven of sin. We've been set free by the Spirit. And so we walk, not according to the flesh, not according to the old way, not according to sin, and not according to condemnation, but according to the new way of the Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit has brought us forgiveness of sin. So here's the gift. We get to go back to that passage that Mark read for us in the Prayer of confession. We get to go back to it and say, Justice, I like that. I've never done it. I don't see it around me, but I like it. It's not in me, but it's in him, and he's fulfilled it perfectly. Spirit, show me justice. Not for me, 
but caused me to walk in it, love it, love kindness. Show me what it looks to walk in humility. So we have these doctrines. The second to last doctrine is the resurrection of the body. There are two verses in Romans 8 that hold out for us the work of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of the body. In Romans 8, 11, it says this, Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who gives life to mortal bodies. It is right to say that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are raised. And yet, I don't actually like to say it that way. In fact, I I think, by and large, it's not the way that the Scriptures say it. It can sound like the Spirit is some sort of energy or simply a power by which things are done. No, He is the person who works the resurrection. That's why it's right to speak of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We don't have another person using a power called Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who works personally, and we call Him powerful. It's one of the, that, that sort of idea should change the way we pray. Holy Spirit, strengthen me, give me power. Is that what we mean? Do we mean strengthen me? By doing what you do, Holy Spirit of God. And if that means some form of strength and power that I feel, so be it. Do it, Holy Person of God. And if it means that you guide me in your word, do it, Holy Person of God. Romans 8, 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What are we waiting for? What are we groaning for? We long for the redemption of our bodies. They're broken and they need to be remade. So it's the role of the Spirit to come to us, even now in the present age, sent by the Father and the Son, as a first fruit, a first taste, and a guarantee of our redemption that will be complete until... Our very bodies, our mortal flesh, are raised and redeemed. So you see, the Holy Spirit brings resurrection to our bodies. And the last one just sort of follows immediately, the life everlasting. In the same passage we read earlier that speaks of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, what's the consequence? Titus 3, 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does the washing and renewal do? It gives us hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit guarantees not only resurrection. If that's all he guaranteed, we'd face death again, just like Lazarus. The Spirit also guarantees resurrection and hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit brings eternal life. This morning we've thought about a lot of things. I hope that in the middle of all of that, there's a bit of clarity. At least there are places to go in scriptures to search more deeply, even during the course of 
the week. I hope that by our study this morning, we have greater clarity about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But I also hope that by our study, we have an increased appreciation for the Holy Spirit. But the result must be that we love and worship and glorify the Holy Spirit as God. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one, we say. And we worship him in his three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But practically, how do we best walk in the Spirit? Want to send us out with a knowledge not only of a desire that it would have for you, but a way in which we can walk according to the scriptures as we go from this place. In John 16, 14, it says this, that same section that we read earlier about the Holy Spirit guiding us in truth, it says this, He will glorify me, the Spirit will glorify the Son, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Central to the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son, the beloved of the Father. The Spirit makes the Son known to us. So, we most honor, love, give attention and appreciation to the Holy Spirit, who is God, by knowing Jesus, who is God, the one God. Charles Spurgeon says this, Now, if we wanted to praise Jesus tonight, what would we have to do? Why, you would only have to speak of him as he is, holy, blessed, glorious. How do we know who he is? The inspired word of God, in which this Holy Spirit guides us and affirms to us. So we most honor the Spirit by paying attention to the word about Jesus. When we speak of Jesus as he is, we are speaking as the Holy Spirit has faithfully taught us to speak. One more quote from Tozer. Let us remember that he that is the Spirit is drawn to the sweet name of Jesus as bees are drawn to the fragrance of clover. Where Christ is honored, the Spirit is sure to feel welcome. Where Christ is glorified, he will move freely, pleased, and at home. I am confident, church, that if we will give much attention to Jesus, as the Spirit has given much attention to Jesus, we will be a Holy Spirit-filled church. Let us worship God as the Spirit has taught us by, by knowing and exalting the name of Jesus, walking according to the way that the Spirit has laid out for us in the Scriptures, the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that leads to the glory of the Father. Heavenly Father, we pray to you because this is the way the Son has taught us to pray. This is the way that the Spirit has equipped the saints to pray throughout the centuries and all in the name of Jesus Christ. You are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that has been done has been done by you, and all that is you has been done, has done it. Lord, we pray that we would have an increasing clarity, though we have already confessed there is a way in which you are incomprehensible. You are higher. I pray that as we come to understand you, we would take the baby steps of worship 
If there's one thing this morning, even in our study of the scriptures, our remembering as we are led faithfully by the creed, Lord, that we would take that one thing and add it to the, our appreciation of you. And take the baby steps of worship. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us, Spirit, or that you would lead us in the truth and that you would affirm that truth to our souls, that where there was doubt, where there was unbelief, you would draw in, that you would help our unbelief and cause us to become worshipers. And we know this. If there's worship, true, whole worship in the church, the Spirit has done this. It's marvelous to us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work among us, that you would do so on the foundation and the grace of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that you would do so as applied by your Spirit this morning. And so we pray. Amen.